Let me ask you a question. What is better than silver and gold? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Silver and gold, especially gold. Especially gold. I want to show you a picture. This was, I think, 2015. My dad and I made a trip to Alaska. And we visited north of Fairbanks a big gold mine. This is called Yukon. No, this is not Yukon. This was called Fort, not Knox. That's too obvious, right? It's not coming to me. Anybody know what the big, huge, open earth gold mine is north of Fairbanks? Nobody knows. Somebody Google it. It is Fort Knox. You're from Fairbanks. Okay. I was saying that's too obvious, Fort Knox, but it is. Yeah. So anyways, uh, this, thank you. This, this huge open, open pit, you know, where they're like blasting rocks and putting through a grinder. We went into the office and they let us hold this huge bar of gold. And there's my dad and there's me. And above us is a, uh, a tusk from a, a mastodon or woolly mammoth. And I don't know if you ever held that much gold in at once. So I thought that was one of the, uh, the gold standard, the good bars that those are 400 ounces. Uh, this one wasn't 400. This was 257.10. So do you know what this thing is worth at today's gold, gold price? I looked up gold today. Gold is $1,971.50. That's incredible how, how high gold has gotten. And so that bar, would have been over a half million dollars. And we're just holding it, you know? We're wondering if there's some way to kind of, you know, slip it out. But uh, that company uh, did not want to lose a half million dollars. But what what a thing. What a thing. What a thing to, to be able to hold something so valuable. Why is gold so valuable? Well, it's pretty. It's very useful. We use it a lot in a lot of things because it doesn't, uh, it conducts heat uh, very, very well, and, and it's rare. That's why it's expensive, because it's rare. But to hold that much gold is pretty cool. What is better? What is better than silver or gold? So I'm glad you asked that question, because I'm going to answer that here in our series, talking about the book of Acts, the birth of the church, and the incredible thing of this new thing that came upon the earth, this thing that was known from God, but was a mystery to us. God knew that the nation of Israel would reject Jesus as Messiah, at least for a time. And God is going to take the responsibility to be a light to the world from the Jewish people and give it to the church, which is Gentile and Jew. The church is both uh, neither Jew nor Gentile, uh, neither bond nor free, all were all one in Christ Jesus. But I love the fact that God is doing something unique and it's still happening today. We're in the church age. And so we've gone through the first two chapters of the book of Acts already. And remember how Acts is a continuation of the Gospels. It literally picks up with all the main themes and a lot of the characters, even Jesus was there at the beginning of Acts. Then he ascended into heaven. He is right now physically, bodily at the right hand of the Father. He is coming back first in the clouds to gather the church. The church age stops and then God deals again with Israel for seven more years. 
Now, we have the Holy Spirit coming, and that's what makes the church age so different. We have the Spirit of God living within every believer as a a sign from God, a guarantee from God that we belong to him, that we have the power to do everything he wants us to do while Jesus is gone. We are him. We are his hands, his feet, his mouth. And we ought to every day be doing those things empowered by the Spirit of God and sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. I love being part of the church in the church age. The Holy Spirit has come. Peter preached his powerful and incredible sermon. The church grew by thousands of people without gimmicks and being seeker friendly. And now we see yet another really awesome thing that's happening in chapter three. In chapter three, in these 11 verses that we're going to be covering today, we're going to find five things that I thought, at least in my strange brain, are better than gold and silver, okay? Number one, prayer. You say, wait a second, you're saying prayer is better than silver and gold? Absolutely. Why? Because it's, you are connecting with the almighty, all-powerful God who created gold. You know, if we ever get mesmerized by jewelry or by wealth or anything else, we're, we're, we're losing connection with the, the God that created all of these things. So prayer. So why do, why do I say prayer is better than gold? Well, look at Acts 3, verse 1. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. If you remember the Jewish way of reckoning, the ninth hour would be in the afternoon. And they were going up to pray. Let's talk about, real quick, before we talk about the, the two of them praying, let's talk about Peter and John. Peter and John. I love to see when people have friends that are godly and that are inspiring each other and encouraging each other to do more for God. That's a wonderful thing. And if you don't have that in your life, seek that. Seek those Christian friends that can be with you. Now, Peter and John would have been friends since... They were kids. They both shared in the occupation and business of fishing. They would have known each other for a long, long time. They were probably around the same age. They were fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, there's there's a certain amount of adventure when you're a fisherman and that's your, your job, that's your business. I don't know if I've ever met someone that made a living by commercial fishing until we went on our In Grace Alaska cruise. We had a man whose father had started a fishmonger company on Lake Erie. And he had run it himself and it had given it to his son. And they would go out and net fish and, and clean it and process it, give it, sell it. So it's pretty cool to be into that type of a business. I was very intrigued by that. He was a little upset that they couldn't keep walleye in their nets, but the Canadians could. But uh, hopefully he'll get over that one day. But what a wonderful man. But they had been in business fishing. That was their their occupation. And, and it, was a, it was a tough and hard life, but it was also a life of adventure. So they had known each other. 
a long time. They had been together in this great occupation. And they also both had been looking for what the Bible calls the consolation of Israel. What is that? That is the promise of the Messiah. Godly Jewish people were looking for the Messiah. And there were others that couldn't care less. And so Peter and John were too looking for the consolation, consolation of Israel. And when they found him, they were drawn, just like they, they drew the nets on their fish. They were drawn to follow Jesus. And Jesus actually told them, I will make you fishers of men. And so that's their, their path. It was very similar. They were both baptized by John in the Jordan. They were excited when they found the Christ. Both Peter and John were in the inner circle and were, were leaders within the disciples. They had been sent to prepare for the Passover, the, the two of them. After the arrest of Jesus, we read about Peter following along. And then also John says, the disciple that Jesus loved, that's the way he would refer him to himself in a, hum, in a humble way, also was, was there. So we find two people that were following Jesus in his arrest all the way to the high priest's palace where Jesus was tried. And of course, that's where Peter denied the Lord three times. And that also means John probably witnessed that. Can you imagine your best friend doing something so, so bad and stumbling so, so hard? So, so what happened? I bet John just, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hang around you anymore, Peter. If you would do that. No, what do we find on the resurrection Sunday? We find Peter and John racing to the tomb. So listen, we've got to help each other. If you have a friend that has had a hard time, be there for that person. Help them. And then here they are. Here they are, Peter and John. Once again, going up there in Jerusalem into the temple to worship, to pray, and to teach, and to teach. Abraham Lincoln said this, I do the very best I know how, the very best I can. I mean to keep on doing it to the end. If the end brings me out all right, what is said against me will not amount to anything. If the end brings me out all wrong, then a legion of angels swearing I was right will make no difference. Listen, do what is right? What is right? Love the house of God. Love the people of God. Love those that love God. Have close friends that are, are like-minded in that way. And do right even if other people don't understand. God understands. They had a, a deep love for the house of God, for the temple. Now, Jesus had told them it's going to be destroyed, but it was still there at this time. It would be a number of years before Titus would destroy it. But to Peter and John, I bet you the temple had a whole new meaning after the resurrection. 
before them when they went to the temple. I, I bet they didn't totally understand everything. But after Jesus rose again, I bet you every time they saw a lamb sacrificed on the temple, they had to remember the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world there on the cross. It had to have a whole new meaning every time they went up to the temple. Every time they would read the Psalms, now they know that Jesus is the theme of the Psalms. And so many other things, when they went to the temple, they had a whole new appreciation. There were other people that were gazing at the spectacle of the temple, the busyness of it, the ritual of it. But John and Peter were there worshiping the Christ who fulfilled the sacrifice and the significant symbols on the temple. There was once an old woman who was deaf, but she was always among the first at church and she was there and she was consistently there. And, and people were wondering, why would a woman who is deaf attend church? She can't hear a thing the pastor's saying. Well, one dear church member wanted to ask her that and wrote down the question, why do you still come to church and you're here all the time, even though you can't hear a word the pastor is preaching? She writes on the piece of paper a reply and hands it back. And she said this, though I can't hear the pastor, I come to God's house because I love it. And, and, and I want to be found in his ways. And he gives me many sweet thoughts upon the text, even though she couldn't hear the sermon. I hope that we all have that love for God's house, the place that we gather to worship, to learn, to grow, to be convicted. Just like Peter and John surely loved God's house, and there they were going up to the temple to pray. There was an actor, and he his name was Alfred Lunt, and he was known to always play to packed houses. He was a stage actor. And they said he was very unhappy if he ever saw any empty seats. He, he, he almost, he almost had to have standing room only. Well, there was a publicist that was part of the Broadway theater guild. And the publicist saw a few empty seats and that really worried him. So he remembered that backstage they had a dummy. So he took the dummy to the back of the room in the house and stood it up, propped it up as if there was someone standing in the standing room only area. After the performance, Lunt came to him all excited and said, listen, I think it went really good tonight. There was even one standee who was so interested in the play that he hardly moved the entire time. Most gratifying, said Alfred Lunt. Maybe his eyesight wasn't good either, but it is kind of hard to see with all the bright lights here even in this auditorium. So what we're going to do is we're going to meet a man who is just as lame as a dummy. Can you imagine if you had this infirmity that we're going to read about in a second, a man who was lame from his mother's womb. So number one, what's better than silver and gold? I say prayer. And we can also say being in God's house is better than silver or gold because what we're experiencing here in this place has eternal value where gold won't. 
So let's talk about this, this lame man. And the, the second thing that I think is better than gold, and, and this might seem strange to you, but I, I feel like this is true. Now, I haven't experienced any significant physical handicap type of ailments or infirmities, but I know for sure that at least in this man's case, God allowed him to be lame for a great purpose. Okay. So the second thing that I'm pointing out that is better than silver and gold is God allowed infirmity. God allowed infirmity is better. And many of you go through health problems and issues. And if God has allowed it, he knows what he's doing. And at the end of the day, something better is going to happen as a result of whatever that trial is or whatever the handicap is or whatever the, the infirmity is. So let's look at Acts 3 verse 2. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried. Can you imagine that? In that day especially. I don't think they had uh, ADA uh, rules. Uh, they they didn't have handicap accessibility ramps and and, and I, I'm all for, I'm all for that. We actually put in a, a lift to make sure that people that are handicapped can get on our stage. I, we, we finally put door openers. You know, uh, I don't know why it's taken us so long to put the, the buttons that open the doors. Cause I was seeing people struggling coming in. I'm like, why don't we have door openers? Well, they didn't have any of that. So he had to be carried to do what? To go to work? No. He had to be carried to go to beg. It says that a certain man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. Now put a bookmark in the beautiful gate, because I'm going to talk about it later, toward the end of the message. So there they brought him to a gate, which is called beautiful, to ask alms, that's to beg, of them that entered into the temple. By the way, that's a great place to beg, uh, ask alms, because people hopefully going into a, a religious ceremony are feeling that God has really blessed me and, and I, I want to bless other people. And I'm really careful about giving to beggars because I think a lot of them are, it's a scam. But I also think we can't let that jade us and not helping people. So here, obviously, this man needed help. He was there at the gate asking for help because he couldn't work. He couldn't do anything for all those that were coming into the temple. Verse three, it says, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask, asked an alms. So he was asking Peter and John as they were about to go up in the temple for some money, some coins. And, and I promise you this, Peter and John, after been, after receiving so much from God, they wanted to give. They wanted to give. And they had sympathy. I promise you they had sympathy. I know they did because later we're going to see that they stopped. Others were passing by this cripple, probably with a glance of disgust. But these men, Peter and John, the men that experienced Christ in the resurrection and the Holy Spirit, they looked upon him not as a crippled, disfigured, wretched soul that was probably dirty, and holes in his clothes and probably didn't smell very good. They looked upon him as a soul. We have to look upon every human being as an eternal soul. One that was created in God's image and one that we need to help and we need to share the gospel. 
They looked upon him as one that Jesus died for. And that made them stop. Before you start thinking you're better than someone else, let me give you really three interesting little stories. There was once a six-year-old boy that came home. He had a note from his teacher. The teacher suggested that he had to be taken out of school as he was too stupid to learn. That's what the note said from the teacher. That boy, Thomas Edison. Another boy's grandfather gave him 10 shillings to write a eulogy about his grandmother. Handing it to the boy, the money, the old man said, There, this is the first money you'll ever earn from your poetry, and take my word for it, it will be the last. What a, what a grandfather. Alfred Tennyson. The famous poem writer. And then there was a man who was about to be married, but his to-be mother-in-law was hesitant about letting her daughter marry a printer. She said, there's already two printing offices here in the United States. And she feared that the country might not be able to support a third. (laughs) Imagine that. You know who that was? Benjamin Franklin. Be careful to not judge people by a glance. It's easy to do. I'm not saying I don't do it. We all do it. Be careful about that. Every person you see, I want you to think, this person is a soul for whom Christ died. And have pity and have a heart for for people that are in need. And this is a great picture of a sinner, actually. Now, I'm not saying this man was a sinner because God did a great work in his life. But a lame man... Is a, is a great picture of a sinner. Why? Because he was crippled. And so is every sinner. Every sinner is terribly disfigured from birth spiritually. Number two, he was a beggar. Do you know sin is empty? Sin is bankrupt. Those that don't know Jesus Christ are basically the same way. Beggars. He was shut out of the temple. Why wasn't he inside the temple? Why was he outside at the gate of the temple? It is thought, although we don't know positively, but we're pretty certain that they would not allow people with disfigurements into the temple because they were considered unclean. Can you imagine that? You know God had to be upset about that. He was shut out of the temple and such is every sinner's condition. We don't have before we're saved, any fellowship with God. We need to be saved. And, and it really is a good picture of our condition before salvation. One person said this. He said, with all our culture, with all our philosophy, with all our fine speeches, and all of our fine talking, human nature is weary, dejected, sick of itself, utterly loathsome, useless, and helpless. The problem is not, how did he get here? The problem, the author said, is how is that man to be got up? It doesn't really matter why he is there. The question is, how can we help him? How can we get him up? And Peter and John looked at him. They didn't just walk past. What a lesson for all of us. So what's better than silver and gold? I say prayer and being in God's house. And also sometimes... 
God allowing an infirmity in our life. Why? Because you're about to find out. Number three, the third thing that I think is better than silver and gold, the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Let's read in Acts 3, verse 4. And Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John. Isn't that an interesting way of, of phrasing it? So here's John and Peter. They're walking up steps because you have to go up to the temple, to Temple Mount. The Temple Mount, by the way, wasn't the highest point in Jerusalem. I always wondered about that. Wouldn't the temple be the highest? But if you've ever gone on to the Mount of Olives and other hills, you can look a little bit down. Well, it's so that you can look upon the temple from all around as the, the mountains are around Jerusalem. Okay, so they're going up the steps. They're walking together. They see this man begging on the side of one of the gates. And, and this is what I normally do. I, I don't make eye contact with someone at the street corner. Uh, you're walking or you're driving and they, they're coming with the sign homeless or whatever, you know. You don't want to make eye contact. I, I'm kind of mean sometimes with Karen. Um, if, if someone comes by panhandling, I'll roll, roll down her window. And then, she, you know, she doesn't know what to do because he, he's coming over thinking he's going to get money and she's just really upset at me. I haven't done that for a long time, though. <laughs> I've learned my lesson after a few punches. Anyways, so you don't make eye contact, right? Because then, then you feel bad and everything else. But, but Peter and John fastened their eyes. They locked eyes. And there's something about that, isn't there, with human eyes? Like, how do we, how do we know? You know someone's looking at you. You know, isn't that, isn't that interesting how God created us where you just, you know when you're, even if someone's far away, you know they're looking right at you, not just over your shoulder. So here they're locked eyes. And, and Peter actually says to him, look on us. Okay. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. So as they're walking, they make eye contact. And Peter even says, look at us. Now this man is hopeful. Ha! Somebody's going to help me. Somebody's going to give me a silver or a gold coin. I'm finally going to be able to, to, to have some food or, or maybe to support my parents or whatever he had to do. Boy, the, the hope that must have been on his face had to radiate. Oh, it's like, you know, when you, when you make a sale as a salesman, you're just, oh, this is great, right? He had to have that look on his face until he heard the next words. Then Peter said, verse 6 of Acts 3, Silver and gold have I none. Wow. Ooh, what a downer. What a downer. Silver and gold have I none. Well, I guess I'm not going to have that meal today. I guess I can't help my family. You go from jubilation to dejection in two seconds, one second. But he was about to get something better than silver and gold. He was about to get Jesus. He was about to get Jesus. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. Okay, what do you have? I don't have silver or gold, but I'm going to give you what I have. What do you have? What do you have? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That had to be an electric moment. Probably a little bit of a disbelieving moment too. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
rise up and walk. This is the power of the name of Jesus. And there is power in the name of Jesus. You know what the name of Jesus means? The Lord is salvation. Salvation. And here I think we have a picture in this scene of salvation. And in every salvation of a soul, there's a human instrument. There's someone that's sharing the message of hope with someone else. Or someone wrote the message of hope in scripture or in a track or something like that. There's always a human instrument involved in salvation. Just like there was a human instrument involved in this man's healing. It's the same thing. Also, we find that in life, we have these almost once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. Not to say that you can't get saved at any moment, but when we need to be saved... There has to be a, a, a knowledge of our sin and, a, and a, a knowledge of the gospel. And, and when all those things come together, you need to receive it. This man now has an opportunity not to be saved, but to be healed. But again, it's a picture of salvation. We have this crossroads, this intersection. Now is the time that he's going to be healed. Now is the time for your salvation. I think also this scene pictures salvation in the fact that there was a miracle and the miracle did not lay in the hand of Peter, although that's, that's what happened, but the miracle resided in the name of Jesus. Now you're, you're, I know what you're thinking. Okay. If Peter can do it, I can do it. All I need to do is use the name of Jesus. Well, listen, the name of Jesus is powerful. It's awesome. It's incredible. We live in a different day today than the early church. We don't have the sign gifts of healing. And so be careful about that. But the power of the name of Jesus is just as powerful because with the name of Jesus, people can be saved. Not just healed from being crippled, but to be saved for all eternity and to be restored back to fellowship with God and to avoid hell and to spend eternity with God. Glorious with a, with a new body. So it's even better, but it's all in the name of Jesus, folks. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the name of Jesus Christ. And then also, the only thing that was required of this man was his hand. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to be better. He didn't have to be baptized. All he had to do was reach out his hand. And that's the hand of God reaching down to the sinner. That's the same exact thing. If he had not responded to Peter's hand, he would have still remained crippled. We'll continue in Acts 3, verse 7. But number four, what's better than silver and gold? Praising God is better. You say, wait a second. How is praising God better than silver and gold? Try it. It's awesome. It's awesome. And it's, it pleases God and it's the right thing to do. And even, even when you're having a hard time, praise God even, even in the trial, even in the circumstance. Why? Because if you can praise God when you're in the middle of a trial, you imagine how glorious you're praising God when the trial is over. Look at verse seven of Acts three. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Immediately, his feet and ankle bones received strength. I love this part. And he leapt up, stood, and walked. And that wasn't it. He entered with them into the temple. 
So remember, they're coming up into the temple. He's healed. He leaps up. He's done something he's never, ever done before. He's now standing. You know, if he ever was able to even partially stand, he had to be leaning on people and people helping him. His legs are of no use. How, how many times have we thanked the Lord that we can walk, that we can stand, that we can jump, that we can run? We forget to thank God, to praise God for stuff. And this man leapt up, and now he was going with them because they're going into the temple to pray. Now he's going with them. He can now go into the temple too. Walking, I love this, and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. That's why I think praising God is better than gold and silver because you can influence other people to be righteous, to honor God, to thank God, to praise God. They're going to see you. Even when you're in the midst of a hard situation, maybe a physical ailment, maybe a job situation, whatever it is, a family problem, a marriage problem, and you can still praise God in the midst of that, people are watching that. And he leapt up. He could have got up slowly and carefully. He leapt up. He stood. He doesn't have to. He, he can now go to work. He can now earn a living. He doesn't have to beg. He walked. This is something brand new to him. And I wish I could see that. I wish I could see him walking. Something we take so much for granted. And he entered with the apostles into the temple. At this gate, he had been there for so many years. As people came in and out asking for alms, now he could go in and get and give alms to God. And then the fifth thing that I saw in this passage of Acts 3, 1 through 11 is this. Watching wonderment is better than silver and gold. You say, what are you, what are you talking about? I love watching someone in wonder, someone excited with good news, a, a kid on Christmas day when they see the gift. Isn't that fun to watch their face? To, enjoy, to me, it's more enjoyable than getting a gift is to give someone a gift that I know they're going to re, be really excited about. This man was so excited and, and all the people couldn't help but notice. Verse 10, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man, which was healed, held Peter and John, all the, uh, the man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them into the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. Now, let's stop for a second, because I promised you to come back to talk about the beautiful gate. There's nowhere other than right here that a gate in the temple area is called the beautiful gate. In all the other writings, we don't have that anywhere. So let's discuss this for a second. Where is the beautiful gate? And some have looked at some gates that were in the temple environment. There was one gate that would lead from the court of the women up into the temple. And it was beautiful, called the, the Nikan gate and uh, uh, the Nikanor gate. And it was beautiful the way it was. Uh, they had 15 semicircular steps with columns and, and everyone thought maybe that's the beautiful gate. I don't think so. And one of our, uh, one of the people that we've interviewed on In Grace several times, Lane Rittmeyer, who is the, the premier authority of the temple archaeology and architecture. He's basically written a book on it. 
Uh, he doesn't think so either. Why? Because the beautiful gate where the lame man was, uh, I don't think the lame man could have gone in that far into the temple because you're already way into the environs of the temple. Plus the gate going from the women's court up into the actual temple is one that not as many people went through because not as many, the women couldn't go in there and other people. So wouldn't you position yourself at the most uh, populous location or the busiest gate? So that doesn't seem to fit. And then others had said, well, the Shushan Gate, which is on the the eastern side, maybe just a little bit to the north of the eastern gate, uh, was another beautiful gate. It was a representation of the Shushan Palace. But again, that was a low-traffic gate used for ceremonies, and it doesn't seem to make sense. So Rittmeyer says that a more likely location would have been the double gate at the southern wall of the Temple Mount. Now, I'm going to have you uh, take a quick look at this gate. This is Lane Rittmeyer's drawing, and these are the southern steps. So if you're looking at the Temple Mount, you would see the Al-Aqsa Mosque over here to the left and near the, this wall, uh, if you're looking at it today. And the Dome of the Rock would be standing where the Temple is today. You see the two openings there, those steps going up. Those steps are still there. You can go to Israel today. That's probably right where he was at. Why was it called the beautiful gate? That doesn't look like a beautiful gate. Go to the next slide because here's a, another drawing by Rittmeyer. See the ornate work inside the gate on the ceiling. They said it was, it was beautiful. It was a, a beautiful entryway and it was about, um, uh, uh, full of these carved domes and, and some of those he said are still around today. Now he had access uh, to go into a lot of the areas of the Temple Mount that none of us could ever go to. And he saw these things, and so that's his opinion. And I believe that is correct. So if that's true, go back to the other picture. That means that the, the man that was lame from birth, as Peter and John walked up these steps, they would have been passing this guy. They locked eyes. They reached down. They didn't have silver or gold, but they gave him something better. They gave him Jesus and healing. And the man went inside into the court uh, the, of Solomon's porch, which is right along there as well. So that seems to make sense to me. Uh, let me say, let me say this. This man was walking and leaping and praising God. Spurgeon said, a Christian man ought to be like a horse that has bells on his head so that he can't go anywhere without ringing them and making a noise. His whole life should be a psalm. Every step should be in harmony. Every thought should constitute a note. Isn't that interesting? And this man, I think, is a beautiful example of that. Now, I know if you're like me and you grew up in Christianity, you've heard a song. And the song has been going through your head this whole time. I want you to hear a kid's song that I grew up hearing. My kids and grandkids grew up hearing. Silver and gold have I none. You can sing it if you know it. Favorite part. Walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Folks, what a beautiful story. What an incredible thing. 
I wish I could see that. Maybe we'll see a video replay one day in heaven. But there are a lot of things better than silver and gold. Prayer, sometimes suffering and infirmity, the name of Jesus, praising God, and watching wonderment. These are things, and there's many other things that are more precious, better than silver and gold. But that's just the list that we found here in our passage. Now, another thing much better than silver and gold is eternal life, salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, the one that died, the one that uh, that healed this man, the power that came from Peter to this man to heal him is the same Jesus that has power to heal you from a crippled sinner to a person that can not just stand, but leap, <laughs> leap, praise God. That's the story of hope, the story of salvation. And it's by grace that you're saved through faith, the Bible says. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. All you have to do is reach out your hand in faith. God has reached out his hand to save you. Put your hand in his. Believe that Jesus is God who died for you on a cross and rose again. And you will be saved from your sins. You will be healed from the infirmity of sin. And now you can walk and run and leap and praise God. And hopefully other people will see it and be drawn to it.